chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask him how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show him a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Welcome to Pegs, Dyson, Jacks. I'm Tom Brent Weber on the board. SP Futures up 7. NASDAQ Futures up 22 as we try and parallel to yesterday's huge rally. Uh... Whether it was a bear market rally or a real one, we'll see. But yesterday was uh, was good for a lot of people, nonetheless. So everybody's celebrating yesterday, and hopefully we'll get a little more today. We will see. We have Mr. Lou. It was a Chicago bear market rally. Um. Yeah. Well, something because of that new because of that new stadium. Um. Yeah. We'll see how that we'll see how that goes. NFL kicks off tonight. It um, does. It does. I, I'm. I'm excited. I'm excited that uh, what is it? Bread and circuses are about to start, or at least the circuses part of of, uh, of our culture. <laughs> but I, I was fascinated to see that somebody in the Bears organization has finally kind of figured out that hey, we got a fair amount of, of market throw weight around here in Chicago, and why are we playing in this crappy stadium that we don't control and we don't have the naming rights for? Lou, are you trying to get me started here? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that I'm surprised that it took this long for the Bears organization to figure out that they needed to get out of Soldier Field, and I'm, I'm much as I, much as I don't like that because I, I Soldier Field has a direct link to, uh, you know, to members of my family directly. My father played uh, his first non-college football game at Soldier Field when they, they had that college all-star versus NFL championship football game at the start of every yep. year. And, uh, and, and, you know, then obviously when he was, um, you know, when he was coaching, had, uh, had games there. But I, I, uh, I, I'm sorry to say that, that what the Bears are doing makes perfect sense. Uh, let me ask you a question. Do you look down at the, if there's a venue like in your neighborhood or in your city, and every time there's a concert there, do you feel that you should get a piece of it? Um, yeah, I'll think about that one. But, but I mean, I, I think indirectly I do get a piece of it through the tax revenue, but... I'm saying the Bears don't own the place. They're a lessor, lessee. Right. Why should Why should they get anything? I think that's the um, whole point. They're trying to change well, that because the because the value of their name and reputation and everything else that's associated with having an NFL team in your in your city is is it is associated with them as a result of their operation. Should I we? Mean, that's their argument. Why don't we just Why don't we just give them like forty billion a year instead of the hundred million this crappy family makes right now? I, I'm, I understand that, and I understand. I, I'm, I'm sort of got my tongue in my cheek here when I say this, uh, but you know, they're, uh, my understanding is they're going to be asking for public money for the Arlington Heights uh, development. Well, correct. Let me, let me. I just know the, the the nuts and bolts of two places. 
Um, and I can take a stab at some of the other ones, but I don't, why should I? If I don't, I don't have an issue with the Dallas Stadium and the fact that the Dallas franchise is worth more than uh, than the Bears because they own the stadium. But I also know that <coughs> Jerry Jones put a billion dollars of his own money into the stadium. That's why he owns it, Lou. That's why he gets yeah, to have no. the Bears. You know what the Bears? That's why, why Daniel Snyder owns FedEx Field. Well, do you know, you know what the. You know what the Bears pay a year to use the place? Uh, I don't know that number, no. Six and a half million bucks. That's it. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> you can't own what you don't own. <laughs> why, sh- why, should they get, why should they get a piece of a concert? They don't own the place. Uh, I understand. I, I don't, uh, my point, I think my point is that there's no way, given current economics and, and current valuations on teams, there's no way that the Bears were going to stay there because the key for them, and, and they watched what happened with the, uh, you know, with the Cubs, the key for them is to own the stadium. I, I don't, I don't. Be, be, into a, be into a facility where they've got, where they've got control, and, and they're, they're using their market power to, to do this. I, I don't think it's a great idea. I, I think it will ultimately cost whoever they go, uh, money, but, um, you know, there, there you are in terms of, of people being willing to do anything to get an NFL franchise. Lou, it's, uh, we're talking uh, let about, me throw out, let, let me throw out the, the sort of like what, what I would love to, I would love to see in, in terms of a city or, or, or county or, or even state in terms of, of this kind of financing. I, I was associated and worked on a deal here in Colorado with the the Air Force Academy, and and the academy owned some real estate, and they wanted a new a new visitor center. They have a perfectly good visitor center right now, but they wanted a new one, much like much like stadiums. And what they ended up doing was basically telling a bunch of private developers, you can you can have this land. It's commercially quite valuable, right near the interstate. But here's the deal. You'll, you'll get, you'll get a, a 99-year lease for basically nothing. Uh, in exchange, you will build us a visitor center, and, and you can put in whatever public de- or uh, business development stuff you want on the land that doesn't use the visitor center. And, and essentially, the Air Force gets a brand new facility for nothing, costs nothing for the taxpayer. Um, the developers get to come in and, and put up hotel, a hotel and some other stuff on the, on the, uh, the land. And, and everybody, everybody walks away kind of as, you know, a zero deal. I mean, the Air Force wasn't going to exploit that land. It was too close to, it was too close to, to a highway. The developers get to get to put their their money into the project. The Air Force gets a brand new building. Lou, if the if the Air yeah. Force were to announce tomorrow, in the Denver Inkblot or whatever it is, this land available to anybody for free, I guarantee you, you would have people there. It's worth something. Oh, oh it is. It is. I, I'm, but it wasn't worth something to the Air Force. Okay. And, and <laughs> so, and so the trade off the trade off made perfect sense that the, the, from from the Air Force's perspective. I, I actually was quite pleased with this arrangement. With the Air Force's perspective, here we'll give you the land, and, and you put our building up on it, and we don't have to. We don't have to mess with it. Um, all right. So I'm saying, when it, 
here, here's, here's my issue with this stuff. Well, and it, you know, and you know, for whatever reason, they beat these numbers into my head when I was a Ute. Did he say Ute? Uh, whenever you start getting into these multi-stage transactions, and you start, you know, putting one to the other, I've had this discussion with probably including family members, probably twenty people. I don't think I've won one discussion yet, because somewhere in the back of everybody's mind, you get. And one guy was telling me, "What well, you, you get? Of course, they'll be they'll be profitable up there. You're going to give them a casino. Oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute! <laughs> You're going to give the bears a casino just just for being the bears? I mean, what are you what are you smoking? I mean, the Louis, guess the DNA here is we have a, a somewhat of a dysfunctional family. That's oh, all, that's all, okay, you're, you're not you're not you've already won your argument. No, no, I'm saying I'm not, is I'm, what I'm, I'm trying not, to do is I'm not. I think it's a terrible idea, and I, I think I think the localities need to need to step back and say we're we're not paying for this. You know, let let the bears let the bears shoulder that risk. But I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm what I'm trying to do is go through the a, a brief set of what the numbers I think would be. Well, uh, you're paying six and a half million dollars here. It's the oldest team in football. They've never owned a place. They leased Wrigley Field. They had they had leased Wrigley Field for nothing when they were there, and they haven't paid much here since they've been here. They did come up with. Uh, I'm going to say they came up with 50, maybe Manny, for the stadium. The Bears came up with something. The league came up with 100, which is why they're never going to get a Super Bowl, even if it was big enough, because they already got their 100. And I'm going to say that's <clears throat> and the family has, with virtually zero risk, has probably made. Seventy-five to one hundred twenty-five million a year for the last decade. That's including them being on salary all over the team, which is pretty damn good. Now, all I'm saying is the same group. Now, people are expecting to take this incredible reach, and by the time you're done over at, in Arlington Park, looking at the L.A. situation and the construction situation here, and the fact that that land is totally unimproved, the only, only place there's water is in the in the grandstand and maybe in the in the, in the stables, or there's no sewer lines under that stuff or anything. It's a track. Okay, now I'm going to say that the, the tab at the end of the day is going to be four billion dollars by the time you're done. If you do something, is that, like, for the, is that for just the stadium, or is that for the well, stadium I mean, and the business complex? The, well, the Dallas thing turned out to be a billion four. So throw some inflation on top of that. So just the stadium is going to be two. And if we're talking about all this other crap that goes with it, let, let's say three and a half. All right. So in any in any kind of normal world, you're going to be paying, let's say, seven percent interest on that, which they probably won't. They'll get some special deal. But if, if you did, SoFi Stadium in LA was between five and six billion. That's, what, that's just what, the stadium. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I, I think I think a four billion I think a four billion estimate is conservative. Okay, right. So let's throw a seven percent interest on that. You're up to two hundred eighty million dollars to start the year. You you think Virginia Muskaski writes that check to start the season when she's been. She's been writing a six and a half million dollar check and probably trembling with that for the last twenty years. The, the, the leopards don't change the spots to that extent. Well, if they can get it handed to them, they'll do it. But they're they're not about to be four billion dollar landowners. Nothing in their DNA says they're ever going to be that. I don't think. Just yeah, I, I that, that's a that's a really interesting assessment, and I really I haven't heard anybody talk about that about the fact that that you've got to stake a huge amount. Uh, of liquidity, really, up front every year for this. They'll, they'll, but so, so what? So what are the incentives? What incentives do you put on there with respect to? Well, I mean, you, to a loan like that. Well, I mean, you, you're going to get some concert revenue. You're going to get stuff. You're going to get demolition derby and all the stuff that Dallas gets. Boy, you're chipping away at one hell of a nut, though. If you're talking about a 280 million dollar interest bill, 
Yeah, that's a lot of music. Yeah. Um, I, I'm. I'm just. I mean, my take on this is that that the Bears organization looked at Soldier Field, and, and, and they've been listening to the other owners who tell them the Snyder's and the the Joneses and the rest of them who say, "Look, you can't. You really can't make money at the level that you want to make money at the level we're making money." Unless you own the stadium or, or have some significant ownership rights, you can't sell the naming rights to, to Soldier Field. You can't market that. You know that that's uh, that's instant money coming in. Uh, the city did a crappy job when they when they put the, the stadium renovation in place. You ended up with fewer seats. You got to get one of the smallest stadiums in the NFL. Um, you can build. Unlike that stadium at Soldier Field, you can build a genuine game day experience around your own stadium, much like the much like the Cubs have done. And and I'm sure all of that was was part of the was part of the, the thought process and enticement. Alternatively, I mean, since they're getting a pretty good deal right now, I I don't believe that they unveiled that Arlington Stadium thing in an effort to hammer the city. For for one thing, without sounding too awful. The city's leadership is so stupid that I'm not sure they would they would pick up on that anyway and respond to it appropriately anyway. But but you know the Bears, I I, I wonder if if this was driven in part by the by the Bears' perception that Chicago is you know especially coming into downtown Chicago is something that a lot of people are not interested in doing right now. Well, Lou, the the naming rights piece, and you know this probably better than me. The reason why they get a whole bunch of grief on that is evidently now from my, what my elves tell me that's one of the things that's shared league wide so even though the Snyders and the, the Joneses of the world have more money than God the fact that they're not getting say say the Bears got 10 million a year 20 million a year for the naming rights whatever that number is the fact that they're not getting their, their piece of the 20 million even though you would think that half a million dollars to Jerry Jones wouldn't be worth walking across the street for they're pissed off because that's something that is now shared, evidently. Well, it, it's under the under the latest contract. It it actually is that locally generated revenue is is actually uh, only shared in a, a much smaller proportion than than all the other club revenue that's generated. Right, but the point so that the, the Bears are not are, are getting. The, the Mercedes-Benz thing from Atlanta, and Atlanta's not getting a like back from the Bears. Greats on oh, these oh, very rich a, people. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. That, that, that was, in fact, that was that was an issue in the uh, original 2011 agreement and then in the new one, too, that, that Jones and Snyder and a couple of other people were screaming about the fact that their naming rights were going to, sub, to subsidize uh, Soldier Field. And, and their response, the, the response of the league was to say, "Okay, we'll give you much more control over that revenue." So that revenue gets that revenue is not not nearly as much of that revenue is flowing into the the uh, communal coffers as, uh, as as was the case uh, earlier. I'll bet you that, that game day revenue from not like Dallas because they've got three hundred and some skyboxes, but which I don't think is shared. But it, I'm going to say that the the revenue from the Bears, given the ticket prices, is pretty darn high. I mean, I, I, I would. The, the, I don't. I don't know the. I, I can't remember the exact percentages. But but the league in 2011 incentivized local activity, local uh, game day activity, and and uh, financial uh, experimentation because they wanted the they wanted the clubs to to 
generate revenue on their own that they could keep and incentivize that kind of that kind of activity well, and you know stadium improvements and things like that and so they they changed dramatically the share of revenue that went into the NFL from from local stadium uh, revenue and, and generation and that that was explicitly done with the request of, of Jones and the rest of them who said we own our stadiums why are we sharing revenue with with people who are too stupid to figure this out? Or, or they don't care if they're stupid. They they would be just as happy if the city let the Bears or let the place be Mercedes Soldier Field and sh- and shared that. They don't care if the, what I'm saying. This is a little bit of a history. Lou. I just happen to know this because my some of my buddies worked on it. The original iteration was they were going to put uh, the new Bear Stadium over by the then then uh, Chicago Stadium. It was going to go on the near west side. And uh, they tried to jam it through a, uh, a veto session in the uh, state state legislature, and it was all McCaskey's people against essentially Arthur Wirtz's people, or uh, Bill Wirtz's people. And you know what the thing fell apart over? You, you, you even you, as devious as you can be, you know what it, it fell apart it, over? It's it's got to be it's got to be something that will reinforce my cynicism. Uh, the McCaskies wanted the city to condemn the Wirtz parking lots and hand them over to McCaskey. Which <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and then and then the deal was then then they were going to put it in the the South Loop uh, past Roosevelt Road. And for those that that don't know the history of Chicago, the Chicago River used to have a bend just south of the Loop. And it used to bend all the way over to our almost Clark Street, where all those railroad tracks are. It used to be more railroad tracks. So the city decided they're going to straighten the river out, which they did twenties and the twenties or thirties. The idea that that area would now be open for development, for whatever reason, they straightened they straightened the river out. It never extended LaSalle Street, Wall Street, the streets that could go down there, and there could have been regular businesses and homes all the way down to Twenty Second Street. They never did that. So as a result, that piece of property which one of Daly's buddies actually leased for a while uh, and paid, it was like one of the biggest loans ever because he leased the damn thing. Uh, was it, It's totally, there, there's no, maybe there are a little creeping a little bit now, but there was no sewer, no water, no electric, no nothing because it used to be the river. So this guy was convinced that the Bears were going to put, they were going to put the stadium there. Actually, they were going to put a combined like Bears Stadium Sox Park thing was the original idea. With the, with the story being, you could leave your cars downtown, and there'd just be a couple of people movers. So if you went to the the game from like my office, I wouldn't have to move my truck, which actually was genius. Very similar to what yeah. they do in uh, Phoenix is somewhat or somewhat of the same thing. Stadium's just right off downtown, and you can walk there from downtown and walk back, or take our, whatever little guys on the bikes and stuff. So it, that was probably the best idea, and somehow they didn't do that. And then they decided, okay, we'll just we'll just redo so I mean, there's because there's been iterations to this. But I know one guy, and I'm, I haven't talked to the dude in eight years a little bit, he's got the number one skybox there, whatever that means. I've never been to a skybox over there. This is eight, ten years ago. You know how much the tickets are a piece in the skybox? And I'll, 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 warn, I'll say there's 20 tickets you get to the skybox. You know what they were? This is ten years ago. Let's say, so 20, so 20 tickets, I'm guessing the skybox was 200,000 again. No, it was a two thousand a ticket. Two thousand a ticket, okay. And uh, that, that doesn't include any of the food or anything like that. It included some parking places. 
But that was that's that's a lot of dough. That was ten years ago. Well, now, especially especially for such a miserable product. Well, it, it's all about bringing politicians and bringing people into the skybox that you're going to get city money from. It's, I mean, it has nothing to do with football. You know that. No, I do, and, and in fact, it's one of the reasons I don't like to watch. I've been in I've been in a couple of skyboxes at Soldier. I don't like to watch games from there because because it's nobody's watching the game. People are just blabbing. It's uh, it, it, it's a one of the most anti-friendly or anti-viewer friendly kind of venues you can imagine. Well, the ones at Saxon Cubs Park, especially Cubs, I mean, you, you fall out of it, you land on the field, but there, there are the seats are. You got seats outside and everything. You know the neatest ones. Have you ever been there? One in Dallas. You see the the guys with like the first five rows seats on the bottom. Then there's like a dugout uh, room underneath it. Your skybox is is underneath, and you get the first four rows. So you can you can go down there at halftime and and, and, boo, and booze and eat all you want, and then run and you run up and watch the game, and then. Then if you want to, you can run back down for another beer or a hot dog and come right back up. Those would be kind of cool. That that at least that at least gets the people who want to schmooze out of the way of the people who want to watch the game. Well, you know, I think there's like 300 skyboxes. Well, those aren't skyboxes; they're low boxes at the Dallas play. It's really something. If you ever go down there, get take the tour. I really recommend it. It's it's an amazing facility. Well, they they were smart. They were smart in doing that, and I don't want to tie up all of our time right. talking about the Bears Stadium. But but I. I was fascinated to see how that rolled out and and what and what it meant. I, I did want to reference uh, an article that was sent by one of our uh, one of our listeners uh, that, that got linked to on Twitter from City Journal, and I think Maddie has already pushed it out. But talking about the change in college football, I went to my uh, my alma mater's opening game uh, last weekend, and um, you know just watching them play, I was just wondering how much longer. You know we're gonna we're gonna see football games like like the one I saw between you know two two you know mid tier mid tier teams actually because it would because Air Force always plays a, a non Division one opponent on uh, its first game because because they can't they can't practice during the summer as much um, and and this is their this is their warm up game but. The article did a really nice job of talking about what is happening in college sports, and especially with the impact of name, image, and likeness on on college on college football, and how basically what we've been talking about for the last couple of sessions the, the establishment of what it will essentially be a, a pro football organization underneath and, and, and as a feeder for the NFL. Uh, is it, going to result from from this kind of collegiate alignment as as the NC, NC2A now loses complete control of, of you know college football revenue and standards and everything else. Anyway, really a really good article, and I, I would I would recommend it. To Lou, how uh, how soon, even even in our our shall we say selective prosecution era that we let what we live in, um, how soon can we uh, uh, if ever? Do the IRS or the antitrust people come down on these people like a ton of bricks? You know that that's a good question. Um, I, I I would say that there is is the only thing that could rival uh, political coverage for a professional sports franchise is is political cover for a college sports uh, operation. Um, I, I think I think that the uh, 
the, the teams, the college teams that are that are dealing in this NIL uh, stuff heavily, and and you know it, it tends to be teams in big media centers like LA and New York and Miami and places like that. Um, they're trying to be careful, and they're they're trying to to make sure that they've got everything documented properly with respect to how this is managed. I I have I have real concerns about about what's going to happen when these athletes start getting these NIL payments and the associated uh, tax queries that go with them but but you know that that's being set up in a way by uh, the NIL consortiums that are corporations that are being established by these schools that's being set up in such a way that that you know tax withholding is being managed um, tax revenue is being managed so that they can at least well, I don't know about that. If, but, if, you, but, if you give the million dollars to the Southern Cal group that is is paying all these athletes, what is your million dollars? I wouldn't try and take that down as a as a tax deduction to a college. Yeah, that's that. I mean, that's, that that's just a good question. I I think I think that. Uh, I think the IRS is going to have some something to say about that. I certainly think the local taxing authorities are going to have something to say about it. Well, I mean, yeah, um, I mean what is it? I mean, what, I mean, last week we were talking, and I was kind of quizzing you because I don't know the answer. If I this these offshoots of Notre Dame, one Brady Quinn's trying to run one, the offshoots of Southern Cal, where you're going to gather this money up and do all the likeness for these people. Well, that's some sort of an organization. I mean, is it a partnership? Is is it a nonprofit, or are they trying to they going to skim some off the top? Is it a corporation? If I give a million bucks, do I get some shares? And maybe I, I get shares that I never expect a dividend. But do I do I get ownership? Do I get, I got to get something a little because it's well, clearly well, not I mean, the school. I think doesn't this doesn't this sort of drive the the student athlete thing right to the right to the very limit of of um, you know legality? Well, he's if an, you're coming in and saying I'm going to donate. You're, and this is your point is excellent. I'm going to donate a million bucks. To the the corporation set up by the University of Southern California to to support athletes, is it a charitable donation because I'm giving it to an educational facility? Yeah, but you're not. They're not. Is, you're not. Well, well that that's that's the question. Yeah. I mean, I suspect these things are going to set themselves up as nonprofit educational support entities, but but how do you make that claim when, when what you're doing? Right, we will continue athletes. Continues after the break. This is fascinating. SP Futures up two, two and a quarter. SP Futures down a buck, but we were up huge yesterday, so we're not giving it back yet. Be right back. Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, 
then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now. Right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Jackson Jackson. I'm Tom Howell. Mr. Matt Weber on the board. Maybe I'm sitting here going through the how, how this could all work tax-wise. I'm thinking I can't turn this into a lesson on how to launder money. <laughs> I don't think we need to do that, do we? SB Futures down a buck. NASDAQ Futures down 12. Oh God! Uh, Dow futures up thirty-three. How things how things just kind of evolve, don't they, Matt? <laughs> Dex down thirty-seven point three percent. Footsie up seventeen point two percent. Kick around down one point uh, zero three. We'll call that flat. European markets. Uh, Britain is now going to try for some kind of price controls on on uh, energy prices. I guess for winter heating and so forth. I don't know how that's going to work, but uh, and they're also saying they uh, fracking is now okay because they had banned fracking. I didn't know there was any fracking in Great Britain, but apparently they're was going to be and uh, wasn't, and now there is, or something along those lines. Nikkei down up 634, 2.3% following our lead yesterday. Shanghai down 10.3%. Get a load of this. Hang Seng down 189, under 19,000, 18,854. Those guys, that's another 1%. They are in an absolute world of hurt over there, market wise, anyway. Uh, 10 year note, minus 3 basis points, 3.23. The Bund unchanged, 1.58. Uh, by the way, the uh, European Central Bank should be. Should be coming out in a while here with their, with their whether they're going to raise a half a point or 0.75. We'll, we'll give that report when we see it. Uh, Japan unchanged at 0.25. We've got oil up 54 cents, 82.48. Still in the low 80s here for quite a while. Brent up 52 cents, 88.52. Natural gas down 4 cents, 7.80. Down like a buck and a half in the last 10, 15 trading days. 
Our Bob of a Penny, 232. We've got gold, which made a move up yesterday and up again today. Up 580, 1733. Maybe going to make it back to 1750. We'll see. Silver up 28 cents, 1854. Silver was. Under 18 last week. That's a big move in, the, in, uh, in a couple of days. Copper up 8 cents, 351. We've got crypto. Bitcoin's up 232 to 19,311. Ethereum, which I, which uh, Russell said it might be going to take over the, was the lead dog here, is up 61 bucks, 1635. We've got the dollar, which was uh, the euro has had a big rally today because it's up to a buck. It was under 99 cents yesterday, so a big rally in there. Must be because the interest rates is go- are going up. Uh, same thing with the British pound, 115. It was under 114. Man, that's a lot. What do you got for us, Travis Weather Sports? 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. Uh, we're off to a decent start on the area expressways if you're heading out this morning. Just one issue on the outbound Eisenhower right before US 20, uh, which is York Road out there in the western suburbs. There's a vehicle fire blocking the two right lanes of I-290, and that's causing solid traffic on the outbound side, and it's affecting the inbound side too, as onlookers are, are stopping to uh, to take a peek. So uh, the Eisenhower right near US-20 is uh, pretty much a traffic jam right now, especially on the outbound side. Edens and Kennedy looking okay. Uh, inbound Eisenhower, once you get past uh, Highway 20 there, starts to clear up. Stevenson traffic building, but no accidents to report. Southside expressways are looking good. Off the expressways, we have a crash out west, uh, Army Trail Road at Route 59, there is an accident. But everything else all quiet out there. Weather today, a beautiful weather day. Sunshine, low humidity, a high of 80. Right now it's crystal clear and 67 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, some clouds in the forecast today and a high of 102. Not expecting rain, but some cloudy skies. Right now it is mostly cloudy and 84, going up to a high of 102. In sports, White Sox playing good ball the last week or so. Hopefully it's not too late. They still have about three weeks to go in the season, and they're still two games back of Cleveland after winning in Seattle last night at 9-6 over the Mariners. Sox took two of three in the series, and they remain tied in second place with the Twins, two games back of Cleveland in the AL Central. Cubs lost at home last night to the Reds 7-1. Diamondbacks lost to the Padres 6-3. And the NFL kicks off their 2022-23 season tonight at Thursday Night Football. It'll be the Buffalo Bills, who are a lot of people's favorites to win it all last year, versus the L.A. Rams, who did win it all uh, last year. So Bills, favorite to win it this year. Rams won it last year. They'll play tonight, 7.20 p.m. Chicago time kickoff on NBC. Chief. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They're on NBC. That's what it says on ESPN. They're They're on Amazon Prime, aren't they? They must be either ESPN has it wrong or uh, they're simulcasting that. Maybe they are the first game, but I think Thursday Night Football is all on Amazon Prime, isn't it? That's what I thought, uh, too. But yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, let me uh, let me confirm that. Yeah, ESPN right here, I'm looking at it, says uh, TV NBC for tonight. But um, let me uh, confirm because Maybe the first game they're gonna all the articles on. that I've been reading are talking about Amazon Prime. Well, let's uh, take a couple of seconds just to walk through this without me giving a money laundering report. But, but what I'd like, you know, what I would love to have you comment on—not everything, probably—but specifically, <coughs> we're starting to separate. I mean, the, the model as I see it is—you know—correct me if I'm wrong. The model as I see it is you and I and Maddie and a couple of the listeners, foolishly or not foolishly are so diehard Notre Dameers or Southern Calers or Alabamers that we're going to pony up a million dollars a piece and we're going to put it someplace. 
Now, the someplace is going to manage the marketing arm of everybody who's coming into Notre Dame or anybody who wants to, <coughs> whether you're offensive line, be it whatever. And we may, in fact, require these guys to show up at uh, you know a radio station once a week or something, something, so they actually look like they're doing something because uh, they're selling their likeness. Now, we're going to cut a deal with the school. So <coughs> unlike other people where they won't let people do this, He's going to be able to show up with the Notre Dame shirt on or the jersey or the Southern Cal hat or whatever, which you would never do unless you get, got the permission of the place, right, even if it's their student. So we're going to, we're, so we're going to pay this guy and some, in some sort of an organization, guy or girl, and we're going to say, okay, you're going to get twenty five grand a year if you do these three things. But we're also requiring him to essentially do whatever the coach tells him to do, to show up at practice, we're essentially directing him to follow all the rules of another organization because we're paying him. Well, how does that work? What if he says, "I'm not going to practice"? Screw you. I mean, I, I mean, I don't. I mean, how the, I don't know. I don't. Normally, the people you work for that can direct what time you show up at work and all that kind of stuff, where you're an employee of, they essentially get to tell you what to do. You don't normally kick a guy to another place and say, do what they tell you what to do. It's kind of weird, isn't right. it? Right. Oh, 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 no. This is this is why, and, and we've had this discussion, this is why the employer model for these, these athletes is, I think, fundamentally wrong. Um, typically, college coaches have much more control over their, their charges than an employer would even dream of, or ever dream of, or even want. And so... The and, and, and believe me, the, the coaches are saddled with the responsibility and accountability for their players in a way that no employer would would ever would ever tolerate. So, so I think the employer model is is wrong. But that that's the direction we seem to be headed. Um, and, and this this raises all kinds of interesting issues, like you just mentioned. So, so clearly they would have to have some kind of contractual term when when the kid signs up with the for the NIL payments that says all of this is contingent on your remaining a player in good standing with, you know, with Notre Dame or USC. And, and if that changes, then we are under no further obligation to, to make any of these, of these payments. What it, it gets even more convoluted because your, your payments are in large part, if you're, unless you're, unless you're the, the star quarterback or, or receiver, your payments are in large part going to be driven by the, um, you know, by the contributions of your teammates. So, so for in football, I'm, I'm talking about. So, or, or, and, and you know, to a lesser extent, basketball, but but especially in, in the team sports, you're going to have you know two, three, four guys that are that are the big names that are the huge revenue generators in terms of interest, and then you've got the rest of the schlubs who who. Are, are you know make the make the stars what they are, but but who are not do not have the name image like uh, name image likeness uh, value, but they're going to profit from the efforts of those guys. So so how do you how do you manage that? And and, and uh, this distribution of revenue, you know, is, is obviously going to be a taxable event in some form. I think I think you you raised a crucial question to uh, this morning and the last time we talked about this when you when you said if you're putting money into that is that a tax-free donation the argument is that it, well i'm donating to an educational institution and, and so that provides cover 
for the for the the tax deduction, but but obviously it's not going for education, unless you're going to say that these guys are somehow student athletes and that the are real student athletes in that the sports experience is part of their education. Now the NCAA has maintained that for years, but but it's it's really it's really going to get put to the test from an analytical model uh, by by what what's about to happen. And, and then that goes back, assuming the IRS and some of these taxing agencies decide that this is not tax deductible, and we're going to we're going to come in, you know, looking for that revenue. Um, you, you now are going to have this, those legislatures I, um, in Congress, but the state legislatures coming in and saying, no, 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 we want to protect our college, our college football team. Well, I think our our buddy uh, Brady Quinn is trying to do somewhat of an end around, Matty, because isn't he saying that his group that is going to essentially filter people to Notre Dame, uh, his group is going to give 20% of their money to charity or something, something. He, he's, he must be trying to get his particular organization, whatever it is, in underneath this, uh, you know, umbrella kind of thing. But, Lou, uh, uh, all the transfer, I mean, I, and the reason why I love this subject is because you can discuss stuff with people other than you where you can, you can, you look at all the different nuances. Most people don't. And, and the, I, uh, one of my guys who used to be a, uh, a uh, contributor. Well, see, see, the other reason this is so interesting and is that this this situation reminds me of when I worked in Russia back in the 1990s. I was just going to say that. It, it's, yeah. it, it's the Wild West. Well, it's, I mean, it, this particular guy said he used to tutor some dude down in Florida, and he's a, been a contributor to the show. And the kid was not, not the brightest, but he was one hell of a football player. And he ended up going to, I don't know, Florida, Florida State, somebody, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know who it was, I can even accuse, but somebody down there, and one day the the old man was poor as a church mouse, shows up with a brand new Ford F-150, and uh, I'm going to say that uh, whoever did that did it out of some kind of a cash bundle, uh, you know, some alum bought a pickup truck and must have signed it over to him for, you know, whatever, 20 bucks or whatever it was, like I said, I'm not giving money laundering lessons. But I have to believe, Lou, that if all of a sudden the kid said, I'm transferring to Alabama, I think somebody with a crooked nose is going to show up and say, you see that knee, you see this tire iron? I wouldn't go to Alabama if I were you. We just gave your dad a pickup truck. I mean, I, I have to believe that, that something like that is happening now, and it'll only get more organized if it... I mean, what do you mean you're not going to practice? We just gave you all this dough, you bump. I mean, I... There's going to be... This, the yes, the the ability for this to get real dirty real fast, I think, is uh, is is on my mind here. Suspicious. Am I just being total oh, south side? Oh, or you 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 have no idea because your universe and mine, we in, in our universes, we operate on a set of sort of assumptions about people, how they look at money, how they look at material things, how they look at financial and fiscal responsibility. And I'm here to tell you, at least based on my experience dealing with collegiate athletes for two and a half decades, I'm here to tell you that unless those, you know, unless these kids are, are captured early on by somebody who has financial smarts and knows how to, knows how to help them do this, they have no, there's no corresponding value system in, in these, in these players. And, and so the idea it becomes pure mercenary, um, and, and the I and, and, and of course this was going on way before, uh, you know, way before 
NIL became a gleam in somebody's eye. Was it was it Newton, the quarterback from Auburn that was yep. allegedly brought to Auburn by this huge payment to his father? Yeah, uh, Cam Newton. Yeah, right. You know this this is this was pure straight up you know mercenary stuff, and the NCAA said, ah, yeah, well, since the payment actually went to his dad, not to the athlete, it's okay. Yeah, but he didn't. Um, he didn't enter the transfer portal in year two and head out to Southern Cal with, and his dad keep the truck or whatever the hell he did. Well, no, that that but my that's my point. He could have, he could have, and and so and and honestly, Chief, for a lot of these guys, that would have been no problem. They right. would have just said, "Hey, man, I, I you you paid me. You took the risk. It's my money. Goodbye." Hence, hence the guy and, with the tire iron, Lou. Hence the guy. Hence the guy with the tire iron. So I don't. I mean, again, you're you're exactly right. This raises all kinds of interesting issues, but I, I just want to throw one more variable into the mix, and that is the population that's getting this money is, in, in the vast majority of cases, financially irresponsible, financially uneducated, financially, um, you know, the, the money the money goes in and the money will go out right away. Well, I, I think. And, and it, Right. Well, and maybe and maybe that maybe that's good for the school because if you get you get these people hooked on money and needing the money and always always having money, then then you've got even maybe even more control than you did before. Well, I would uh, if if uh, Kevin were here and he's probably listening, I'm going to say that the people we hear of, I'll say maybe some of the difference makers, but not all. I mean, Kevin says a lot of the guys at Notre Dame that are that are uh, they may be all Americans and different makers and don't look like it. Uh, when I when it's a horrible thing to say, don't is that their parents might be attorneys. I mean, they could pay their tuition. They don't they don't even need this. They just do it. I mean, he's out of your eighty man roster, all seventy of them. I mean, maybe and depending on the school, maybe are not the guys you're talking about. I mean, and there are schools that I mean, I, I bet it at Air Force. I mean, everybody's parents are working, and, it, and football is actually an extracurricular, but. I mean, Kevin says a real lot of the guys at Notre Dame could play all their own toys, especially the basketball players. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not it's not all, everybody you see. In other words, I guess what I'm saying Cam Newton, if you took ev- everybody in the whole system, he's not hopefully the ordinary. I mean, he's more there's more of him than you would like to see, maybe. But I, I don't know, am I making I, any I'm kind gonna, of? I, I'm going to tell you right up front that I'm wrong. The guys, the guys that are NFL caliber. That, All right. that are that they're the ones that you really want to hang on to and, and want to hook hooking with the money are in I would say the majority of cases, maybe not the vast majority of cases, but the majority of cases coming out of environments like this unless unless they've been hooked in by a competent manager, you know, in high school or uh, or early collegiate career. Or parent or uncle. Hey but, Lou, we got ten minutes. Would you mind Switching uh, topics, take us through the what's going on with with uh, Russia and Germany and, and Britain with this energy. Now they're talking about the Queen not being in good health. We got the new Prime Minister over there. Uh, how do you see this dynamic? Yeah, wasn't, wasn't that an interesting? Was it uh, that their the guy that she wanted to put in as the the head of their energy um, program said, "Look, we need to drill out every every bit of." And frack out every every bit of natural gas that we can. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I thought a very realistic uh, proposal. Well, other, other than so, the North so, Sea, Lou, the, other than the North Sea, which has got to be a little less than it was, does does Britain have natural gas all over the island like we do all over the place here? 
I don't, I don't know what their their reserves are, but fracking fracking for them is is a is a real possibility, and, and it, it allows them it allows them to get some self sufficiency. What what Russia has just done, and what what you see with Russia turning off uh, gas to Europe, is is sort of the ultimate end game that I'm pretty sure Putin did not want to get to, but has always been part of the plan, and that is. His perception of Western democracies, uh, like like a lot of autocrats, is that they are basically uh, run by weak, uh, maybe partially demented or mentally inferior people. And of course, he's he's right about the United States, but not necessarily so much about about Europe. Um, his his point is, I'm going to shut the gas off, and when we get a really cold spell in December or January. We'll see how much we'll see how much support for Ukraine uh, exists after after people have to put their put their apart their flats at ten degrees Celsius for for a week or or whatever or they can't they can't even they can't even get the gas to, to turn their stoves on. Well, this um, is a we'll see we'll see how Ukrainian support goes after that. So that that's from Russia's perspective. This is the long term strategic game that they are that they are playing. And and you know they know they know that the minute that the Western weapons spigot gets turned off, that Ukraine's going to going to roll over. They 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 pretty much have to. Well, I mean, um, look, this is a very. I mean, we're stacks and jacks here, and we're, we're world history too. But this is very similar to what you, what Putin is doing is is very similar to what you don't want in a chief executive that's maximizing returns for his bonus this quarter. I mean, if you have a hundred-year plan for Russia, I would say that the last thing you want is to is to cut this off because in two or three years or four years, the coal plants will be back on. We'll figure out more natural, uh, liquid natural gas. They will they will never be a provider again of gas to Europe, which is exactly we. I mean, if you're the Russians, you want them buying this stuff every year for the next century until everybody decides on fusion or whatever. But it's a very short-term decision with really long-term implications that are not good for Russia. I think. Oh, I, I think you're. I think you're right. And this this goes back to something we talked about from day one of this idiotic invasion, which is what on earth is the is the is the economic upside? And, and again, my my point to you is you can't look at this decision strictly in economic terms. This is, or at least, money terms. Economic terms, it makes perfect sense because there's a huge value to to Putin and for the Russian people in getting Ukraine back under Russian influence and making it a part of Russia again. And so, from their perspective, it's like it's like you know Taiwan with with China. China can't stand the fact that there's a free Chinese state sitting out there looking good, making making China you know look look bad, and and the the, the China could could live and let live with Taiwan in, in in harmony for you know 500 years. They have no interest in doing that, and Putin has no interest in doing this with Ukraine. So so yes, this is a short term. It, it, there's a potential short term gain, and that is we get Ukraine back under our control. And and his perspective and his leadership's perspective is that this will be worth it, irrespective of whether the West buys our stuff or not. Remember, Russian paranoia, national paranoia, and I'm, I'm drawing now on a generalization, but I really think this is some of what drives Putin, is that the West is against us anyway. The West wants to destroy us. So so now is when we leverage 
our advantage, having lulled the West into a, a false sense of, of economic security by using our gas, now we will take advantage of that. They hate us anyway. We're, we're, they were going to cut us, cut us off anyway. So let's leverage this now for maximum pain to get this emotional satisfaction of, of bringing Ukraine back into our back into our uh, our ambit. Well, the game seems to be since the place he's hurting the most is Germany, and there was somebody on TV yesterday saying that Germany really hasn't helped Ukraine hardly at all. It's been us and the, and the Brits, and uh, so that's I mean, correct. So the 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 the, the plan seems <laughs> to be the play seems to be is to cut Germany out of the alliance because they're hurting and they're saying we can't do this anymore. We're not with you. I don't know if that's going to happen. I would I would be surprised if that if that actually occurred, but but who who knows? <clears throat> I mean, it's not like the Germans and the Russians haven't formed an alliance within recent memory, you know, to divide Europe. Um, I I think I think that the the Germans Angela Merkel did a did a tremendous amount of damage to German national security and German the German defense establishment and so so the question now is whether you know you get the wake-up call to to Germany that that has already sounded very loudly in places like like Poland and, and the, the, Czech, the, the Czech Republic and Romania and Hungary and all these other places that were under occupation um, and, and so I my thought is that the Germans will will not Will not buckle, but but again, this goes back to this fundamental issue that we talked about when the Biden pulled the plug on our pipelines and and you know made it almost impossible to get to get uh, oil development or energy development licensing. You know that that's a principal element of our our national soft power, and then had we maintained that and kept that kept that going. We could be stepping into the place of Russia and providing the Germans with with some at least short term relief. Well, I we would don't have uh, that ability right now. I would say that uh, I, I my bitch at the Biden stuff. I mean, I, everybody everybody from the right, Lou, excuse me, uses this wacky pipeline uh, that was not any good to anybody here anyway as uh, as the, the lead dog in this fight. I, I think it's. I think it's. I'm not, I'm, no, that that to me that to me was not the league. Though that would not have that would not have helped Germany. I'm talking about our own internal development. I I think I'm with you, and I, and what I see is we talk to Kevin uh, twice a week, and I've been really <laughs> picking my nephew's brain every Sunday regarding the manufacturing, small manufacturing, uh, metalworking places in Chicago, and I I think the damage it's it's done, Lou, is that uh, you 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 saw the uh, rigs ramp back up, and it's been a boom and bust industry forever, I mean, you and I know that, but instead of ramping back up 40 or 45 rigs a week, they're going 25, so we haven't ramped up, we're getting there, so that's why you see some of the oil prices sneaking back down, but I don't know that if if uh, if I had a kid, or your kids were younger, if you would necessarily uh, want them going into petroleum engineering or things like that, you would say that's not going to be a lifetime not, not that an engineer in there couldn't go be an engineer somewhere else. I mean, you're a pretty bright person. Uh, no, but 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 that's yeah. that's that's you touched on an important yeah. issue there, and that is the message that the administration has been sending. Right, has been get out of this business. Well, and there's some kid Sunday softball. Lou, I haven't played this year, but I'm hopefully play next year. One of the kid is a young kid, 
first he was just pinch running for guys like me, but now he's a really good ball player. Um, he's going to somewhere to be a, a diesel mechanic. And my brother, you know, the first thing he said was, what are you doing? <laughs> if everybody's right, there's not going to be any diesels in 20 years. You're going to be 40 years old without a job. I mean, I mean, this does enter people's, you know, I have a feeling there's going to be diesels in 40 years, but in 20 years. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, the whole idea now, would I, would I, you just see the fracking here is not expanding the way you would expect it, given where the oil prices are. None in southern Illinois, none, very little, if any, in, in uh, northeast Ohio. And all these places were started to be developed, and now they're not. I'm not a huge fan of fracking, but my point is is the, the message has been given that you guys oh, are yeah. on borrowed time. And, by the way, we need you tomorrow, but you're on borrowed time, which is about as dumb a message as you can give anybody, right? I mean, I... Absolutely. That's 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 been my criticism of the administration from day one on this yeah. planet's energy policy. The message that we're sending is almost as important as the regulatory limitations. Well, the message ought to be: we know we'd like to be cleaner at some point. Wherever we, it makes sense, we're going to do it. But by the way, for the time being, we're we're not going to be banning gasoline cars in 10 years the next day tell people not to plug in their electric cars like in California. I mean, we can't be that stupid, but but somehow we are, right? Somehow we are. Yeah. Lou, thank, thank you very much, but have a nice weekend. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know where it's going to land. The, thank you. The, uh, now, if you're not one of the power four, you you can't get a buy, even if you're number one. If Air Force is number one or Notre Dame, they can't, they can't get a buy unless they're the top four. I think these guys are going to run into some... By the way, real quick, I don't want any time. This is becoming next week. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the antitrust exemption, Major League Baseball. This is almost the exact same case. If yes. you if, if you pluck two teams out of a out of the league and let the rest of it fold, it's almost the exact ca- same case as the Federal League, isn't it? Uh, I, I think it is. Let's talk I, about I that it next is, week. It's, it's, let me put it this way: it's headed in that direction. Oh yeah, very much so. SP futures up a buck. Nasdaq futures down six. Be right back, Mr. Danjanitis. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, owner of Home Source Realty and frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks Radio Show. If you're thinking about purchasing real estate, this summer could be a good time to shop around. Whether you're a novice or seasoned investor, low interest rates and a good inventory make adding bricks and mortar investment to your portfolio an interesting possibility. Many a great fortune has begun with the purchase of property. Call me today for your personal investment consultation, and I would be happy to get you started on your path to prosperity. You could reach me at Audrey Johnson at Realtor.com or call me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. 
With devout listenership covering the Chicago market, along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Hello, Pick Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. We've Smith Weber. SP Futures up 79 cents. Nasdaq Futures down six, but. After a big, huge update we had yesterday, I'd say this is probably a very good morning if you're bullish. Uh, Mr. Dan, how are you, buddy? Uh, Mr. Dan uh, Danitas of Kratos Capital, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing all right. I have uh, questions for you, uh, as usual, from uh, sure. that I get from people. Uh, uh, well, I'm going to ask, ask one of my own. I, I, I continue to look, I shouldn't, at this U.S. debt clock. And every time I look at it, I tell people I shouldn't, but I continue to do so. Why is, is a steady string of bankers and people, the guy from uh, BMO, uh, Harris BMO was on yesterday, and they, they're telling you how great everybody's doing, how spectacular the, the, the uh, consumer is. And every day I look at this debt clock, and we're dropping $25 or $50 yeah. a day in savings in every family in the country. I mean, what are these guys looking yeah. at that I'm, not, that I'm seeing something totally different? I'm not sure what, what they're looking at, but I'm seeing more of what you're seeing. And the other thing that I'm seeing is with rates going higher, you know, credit card debt um, is building up as a percentage of um, of the consumer's balance sheet, and the rates are higher. The rates are only going higher because in this environment, that's you know, it's not good for companies, and it's certainly not good for consumers either. So um, I'm not sure. I know that you know that some of the general statistics about jobs are the part is still to me the the jobs, the employment picture is still the the part of the equation that is giving us all this volatility and, you know, not so much a clear, not as clear a direction as we should be. But again, I see us in a recession. I mean, we've, we hit, we've had slow growth. Um, I'm not sure if they're just talking points for some of these banks um, to try to encourage or if it's just really, you know, a lack of really, you know, experience and looking back and understanding how the markets work and understanding how the economic and credit cycles work as well but i'm the same you know i'm with you i think that the you know we're still despite you know gas prices coming out that's only a piece small piece of the equation we're still seeing a you know high inflation we definitely still have um supply chain issues there's definitely a demand still for jobs especially on the lower end um, of the spectrum but but you know if you can't find people to you know work in the fields or you can't find people to work in the grocery stores or, you know, all the way up up the line, it's going to hurt business. So there's still struggles going on out there. And I think the one the one question I have, and, and I, I was reading a, a local article about a woman who runs a business here who's saying, what are people doing if they're not working? Why is it that, you know, she was asking, why am I having such a hard time finding quality people? So the I think the spin that some of the banks and some companies are putting on this you have to take with a little bit of a grain of salt, and you have to look at, you know, the bigger picture, and where we are today, we're relative to where we've been, and also the, I guess, what I would call the headwinds 
which we see, we continue to see in front of us. And sometimes I think we get blinded here in the U.S. I mean, uh, you know, looking at what's going on in the U.K., I mean, they're trying to take steps. Um, but I think the situation in Europe in general is, is, is a lot more difficult economically. They're going to be fighting um, energy issues through this fall. There's going to be a lot of challenges there that are worse than the challenges we're facing. And then, I mean, then China goes and shuts down because of COVID again. So that that's a big factor when you're looking at global demand. And, you know, there's one COVID case, and then it seems like, you know, get millions and millions of people that are, are not working. So, so there are these other factors going on. The biggest one behind all of this is higher rates. And for those people, I mean, for me, I like higher rates because it lends well to my style of management. But for the economy in general, and for equity investors, especially tech equity investors, it's not good news. And it's not changing. Uh, Canada just raised their rate yesterday. Their um, uh, rate is now at 325. They raised 75 basis points. So it seems that we're on the same page as them and uh, as some of the other developed nations right now um, in seeing global inflation and seeing, you know, the only way to to uh, deal with this is to continue to hike rates. And I don't think these people who are making these comments about how great and wonderful it is are looking forward or looking ahead to see the impact of rates. I think we're going to see more of the impact in um, the third quarter when we get third quarter results. And there's going to be more impact, I think, as the year goes on. So although people seem to be bullish in certain segments of the, the equity market, I don't agree big picture. We're still selling stocks that have, you know, that have run with this, uh, this rally that we've seen over the summer and, you know, buying yields. We finally have yields. So, um, I would be, I would be risk off right now. I would, you know, if it's going to be, if you are going to do anything risk on, it would be short term. Just trying to, well, at some point, short term move, but I would not be looking at investing just because uh, a tech company is down 20% from its highs. I wouldn't be, Looking at that as a long-term investment at this point. Do you? Uh, well, you know, I'm stacked up here on questions. What? Yeah. Oh, by the way, we we did finally uh, start to get some of that uh, um, SVC. We found Good. offers, and uh, some of that's actually offered, and we were able to grab some. Now it's offered a little higher, so we don't want to get it at a, at a lower rate. We're we're still sniffing around in there. Uh, question from one of my guys was, uh, what do you think of Muni's? And before you say anything. I, Every time somebody's brought a Muni in and wanted to sell it, I had a horrible time trying to sell it. I mean, anybody who brought in like a TIF thing or something, I, mean, they, I think that's why that insurance company own them because they just buy them and hold them for 20 years. They, I don't know. Every time I tried to, to do a trade in there when somebody needed it, I've been, I, I, I just had real. I, mean, I, I, I had some of these TIF things. Now, those are, are bad Munis, obviously, but God, the bids are like 40 bid at 90 or something. I couldn't find anybody. Right. Widespread on yeah so so I mean Muni's I was a bond manager you know I've been a bond manager my whole career and I've managed Muni funds. If you're doing the the go go names the on the run names like the some of the larger GOs like an Illinois GO or something, then you're going to have liquidity and, and those are going to be easy to buy. But when you're looking to have find something that has some yield, um, you know like like a revenue um, bond or a project bond. Problem with Muni's is you're right. First of all, they're locked away. They're put away. They're usually just there for the yield. When you know, for most investors um, use them for the yield and just sit on the tax-free yield. 
but they also come in smaller sizes, and they do series. So, so when a municipal bond is issued, it's not just for one year at one at, with one coupon. There'll be t- you know ten different years, um, ten different coupons, and as a result, each piece it's they're smaller and they're less liquid. So that's why you have the uh, liquidity issue um, in this environment. That the liquidity issue actually probably isn't as bad as it's going to get. It probably will only get worse um, as the credit cycle, um, you know, continues to tighten. But, but uh, yeah, I would say my advice on the munis would be to stay with the higher quality. Uh, you can make some money if you look at, but you have to really do your homework the way that we do on some, like, revenue names that are one-off names. Um, but munis, I don't know that they're specifically, you know, particularly attractive right now relative to treasuries and relative to corporates. I think corporates are much more attractive. You get more money, your after-tax return on a double D bond like the SVCs, like the OMHs, which I, I mean, OMF, which I've mentioned before, um, one main financial, you're getting six to six and a half on those, and those mature in March, and that's a double D strong credit um, even ADT, the security company that I've mentioned, you're getting 5% in those mature in, in June. So, you know, you can get more yield in corporates right now. The spreads, the average high yield spread is 500. Believe it or not, spreads have widened out. Um, and at the same time, the yield curve is flattened. And what that means is um, that you're not having, you know, the if you look at what the high yield market is telling you, it's telling you that credits, is, you know, there's going to be more pressure on credits going forward. When you look at the yield curve, is telling you is you're going to see, yeah, there's slower growth, but it may not be as bad. So there's sort of two different messages coming from from the bond market. Usually they're in sync. This past week they have not been in sync, um, and it's some of it may just have to do with the flow of funds and and um, where people's particular focus is right now. But there will be. Um, I'd say on the muni side, there will be some opportunities as we move through this credit cycle, but I think it's early. I I think you need to see, if you want to buy a revenue bond with a little yield, you're going to have to wait a little while. And the other thing on top of all that is is one major message that we've seen the last few months. Inventory is slim. It's very slim. People are looking for yield. This is finally an opportunity to buy it. People want to cash out of the, the equity market. They want to sock away some yield, and now you're getting some decent yield. Um, the one part of the yield curve that looks really interesting this week is the one-year T-bill, which is now at 360. That's what I'm looking so at right two, now. I, I to, yeah, the two years at 345. Well, I got it. Well, this morning it's nudged the other way a little bit. It's 3.56, but we've been sticking with the six month. I'll just read these down. Three months is three. Uh, six months 3.42. Twelve months 3.56. In two years back down to three point five four two. So yeah, right. I mean, you, you want to stay either six or twelve here, I think. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 the and the thing you know, it, actually going back to the question about munis is there, there's more demand across the board for for bonds when in, in higher quality bonds, um, especially when there is you know flight to quality concern about the market, but also more importantly when there's yield. And now there is finally some yield out there, and the chances are we're going to see more yield in two weeks. You know, when the Fed meets again in two weeks, we're gonna we're gonna see another hike. So um, it's good for my style of management, as I said. It's not necessarily good for the economy. It's not necessarily good for um, higher risk equities. Well, you uh, do tech- 
you do what you do with people, and and so do I. And I've had a, a, a real problem for twelve years. Theoretically, I have a lot of people that are that are up there. You know, I mean, they've been clients for years and years. And the idea that you know people on TV blind, blindly say, "What's the problem? If a guy's ninety years old, he should be in uh, you know Apple or something. You don't want to be in any kind of fixed income." No, you, you, there should be. At, at that age, you should be getting, well, 90, but I'm saying at some point, you should be able to get a decent return and, and regular dough and, and, and regular cash, which we haven't seen in a while, and, and you should have some stuff that maybe you like stocks that are steady and some you like that are a little less steady, but you like them. That, that should be the balance, and I'm not saying what the percentage should be because it, it's all different for every individual, but yes. the idea that you, you, you force somebody 80 years old out on the on the risk curve and you and i can't do that we're 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 not gonna just because the the guy wants it we're not gonna put an 80 year old dude out on on micro strategy but or bitcoin we're just but the one thing that i'm I'm feeling better about it because you know I'm, i'm i'm with you more and more i still have a real problem putting somebody's money to work fixed income for any length of time under the inflation rate because all you're doing is taking money from them but six months yeah, a year. Yeah, could be taking a lot more. Yes, on, yes. on the equity side. Absolutely. Well, I mean, know, unless we see a, a rally, so it's. Um, well, as I you know, I, I've I've absolutely come around to your way of thinking. If we're getting three or four and a half for six months to a year, I'm I'm right with you. <laughs> but the idea of of locking us up for thirty years at three and a half when no. inflation could be ten percent for thirty years, we ju- we just we just eviscerated the guy, right? <laughs> Yeah, it really it has to be short term. And yeah. the good news, and I, I've never believed in laddering as a fixed income portfolio manager. I don't believe in it, but think of it similar to laddering, where now you're buying that six month at three and you know three thirty or three forty. You're you're buying the one year at at three six close to three sixty, and now think a month from now you'll be able to buy more. So now you have a you have a, a an old six month that's now a five month, but you have the new six month that's at you know three seventy. So yeah. It keeps it, it'll keep moving up, and we're in. That's why I said I like this environment we're in because you can stay short and you can buy short term, so that you have that. The same the same would be the effect of uh, owning an adjustable rate um, instrument or a floating rate instrument, where you benefit when rates go higher. So, but you can do that on your own by buying these T bills and buying some of these double B rated, higher quality um, corporates that are where you're getting six, six and a half. Um, another name I do have another name on the um, that we've been doing that we've been working on and we started purchasing. It's just it's a different industry, but it's it's uh, basically the same story. Um, it's Buckeye Partners, Buckeye as in Ohio Partners. BPL is the ticker, and we're buying again the bonds, double B rated, and therefore the coupon is four point one five. Maturing on uh, July first to twenty three, so you got a what less than a ten month bond there, yielding six percent. This company is an in- independent oil pipeline. They got their start; they've been around forever and ever, and they got their start pumping oil from from Houston to you know from the Gulf to um, the Northeast and the Midwest, and it's um, predominantly liquid petroleum, but well managed company. And here you're getting six percent. You know, it's about double what you'd be getting on the on the six months. Or um, so you're getting some yield there, and you're getting you know I think you're getting paid for that yield, and again diversifying a little more. But 
But that, you know, now you're getting closer when you're talking about the inflation rate. Now you're getting closer when you're in the in these corporates. And, well, I feel way better about um, that than when we were talking about 2%. <laughs> yeah, we're in much better position now yeah. than we were, we were back then. Uh, yeah, I kind of I always look at the worst possible, you know, because I did at one point run a hedge fund, so you always kind of look at the worst possible, you know, downside risk um, with every investment that you make. And as you get more into the fixed income, that downside really diminishes and the volatility in your overall portfolio diminishes but i'd still say that you know that having some exposure to gold and silver you know should the dollar you know the dollar's been so strong right now so it's been a tough environment to you know to bet against the dollar but but to have just to have a little bit of safety and yeah i mean you can throw a few names in there um or i tell clients you know if you if you enjoy it yourself um you know take a small piece of your money and manage it um, you know, I think it gives them a better understanding of what we do. <laughs> well, yeah, Dan, we uh, you most were talking most polite way I can say it. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> it, it been what we're. I mean, I, I've learned an awful lot from you, and I hope the listeners have too. And and, and I would like to see in, in a real world. I'd like to see, especially in my retired people, forty percent in fixed income. Easy, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. I, yet in Absolutely. the last ten right years, now, definitely. Yeah, in the last ten years, I don't I don't see how you could possibly do that. I mean, one percent. People are like, well, "What's the point?" I mean, I mean, uh, and I agree, and I agree with you. And that, and even for somebody who has come from the you know income background, in, uh, both uh, on the equity side and the fixed side, we have been predominantly in like the names that we had talked about, some of the preferreds, uh, higher dividend paying stocks, um, and even some some we were in some tech names when we saw the market um, clearly going up. But we've shifted, and we are continuing to shift out of those names that have made money and you know rather than getting that three percent dividend lock it in for six months or you know lock in three and a half for for a year 360 whatever for a year so it's a it's a uh, good time now the other thing too if you look at your alternative investments if you're an individual and you're looking at your alternative investments i mean they're still only paying three percent on a two-year cd yeah yeah and I, I looked at it again this morning, and I was looking at the ones that pay a little more. And well, you can get three and a quarter if you go out seven years. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if ever you and were, and then there was one that had a one-time penalty that was a little bit higher, but they're still lower than these short-term T bills. And that, to me, that's a no-brainer. Well, my is my friend Dan becoming a conspiracy theorist? These banks have turned into the big cartel. I think I've thought they've been for a while. I mean, how can they possibly yeah. be saying they can't? They won't even pay one and a half percent in some places, and they're. Credit card rates are averaging what eighteen now or something? They've gone up a couple hundred, yeah, a couple hundred basis points now. So going back to your initial question, and in, in that you know how are people's balance sheets, and, and how you know how how come you know this talk about how people are doing so well? I mean, I'm I, I'm with you. I want to know who these people are, um, and even people who have steady jobs are still concerned about um, you know whether they're they're people that are approaching retirement. They're concerned about what's happening with their you know their four hundred one k and their retirement plans. Um, so what we're doing, which I think has really been great, is we're we're adding a level of comfort, a level of capital preservation that's allowing some of the people who are at that point to feel more comfortable with maybe making that, you know taking that step to retire and not have to worry about you know the market um, volatility uh, you know over the next few years. But yeah, absolutely, I, I I don't see I still see that we're moving into a slower period. Well, I, I continued continued recession, you know. I, I think and, um, with you, but I, the, somehow we have to uh, in this area in our, our school system and our our leadership is so horrible. Somehow we've got to get 
at least 10,000 of the jobs where people are looking, we've got to get them qualified for the 10 that are available. And mm-hmm. I don't see yeah. anybody in the Annan places where, where Kevin at the, uh, the uh, junior college slash technical place that he works for, they're, they're busting at the seams to try and make that happen. Oh, no, I don't see, I don't even, I don't think anybody even thinks about it. But, you know, I, w- I was thinking about you the other day, and you're not going to know why, about your transmission. Yeah, uh, and uh, by the way, how did that is that thing running yet? <laughs> yeah, running. it's run, it's it's running, it, but it is running on a on a used transmission because uh, it, you know, Mercedes no longer makes um, you know for for my car, which is eight years old, it, they no longer make uh, transmission. So um, I'm, I'm stuck with the used one, but it's yeah, it, it's running fine. Um, the interesting part of that though was you know as we spoke before the the owner of this place who I've known for years who's a great guy losing his top mechanic having trouble finding new mechanics having to pay more and frankly losing his assistant who was fantastic um, before and you know it's just those type of errors that are being caused by the new assistant have kind of made me think about going somewhere else because it's it's um, service the the good thing about small business owners is they still want good service and it's been really hard to find the quality people and that's the same story i was telling about our local um, restaurant owner here the woman who was talking about how i'm not going to hire anybody if i can't hire servers who aren't going to be with good customer service skills so she goes i'm getting applications but i want to make sure that you know our restaurant is one that people look forward to coming to because they know that they're going to have good service so so that it's good that we're at that turning point now, and I, I'm hoping what happens is that as people start realizing I have to get back to work, um, that they're going to realize, okay, there's a little more competition out there than I thought, so I'm going to have to work a little harder. So I would hope so. It might just be a tradition that I have, a traditional value that I was raised with that I still have, but I also think it's how our, our American economy works. People work hard. They... they succeed they can get what they want if they work harder if they want to get to the next level and those opportunities are there and um, I find it silly for people who are staying out of the market um, right now because I think now there's some really good opportunities for advancing your career especially if you're younger um, but Dan I think that the, the depth of of knowledge the reason why I was talking about your transmission is a gentleman here in the building uh, he does some work for me terrific guy the transmission goes out on his older minivan, right, which he uses for work. And, of course, he's trying to find one, trying to find one. And it's up to, like, 2500 bucks. This is for a Chevy van, right? We're not talking about a Mercedes. And uh, so I call guys that, that I know just to get kind of a, a feel on the price. And the dude goes, yeah, it's like 2350 And I said, that seems, seems a little rich. <laughs> Guy goes, just so you know, it would have been 1800 last year. Yeah. And, uh, yep, that's so yeah. my, my, as you know, my number on the inflation, when all is said and done, is going to be thirty five percent higher than it was before COVID. And I think I I'm, believe I think it, I'm yeah. stat- right. But now the, the the flip side is the chances of this guy being able to walk into a new Chevy dealership and walk out with that minivan. I mean, I, I, there's a bigger, better chance of me being a jockey in the fifth race today, and you know, there's no chance of that. Right. I mean, right, yeah. I mean, the the idea we. This this inflation becomes insidious. You know, yes, pe- yep. you know, people can't buy something new, so you're getting the old jalopies. Every one of these guys, if you're anywhere good at all, 
if you can get into a mechanic in two weeks, you're doing good, unless you really know somebody. I know a couple of guys, and and if they're and they're going to find a guy that says, you know, you're only paying me thirty five bucks an hour, and you're charging a hundred. Some other guys willing to pay me sixty and charge one twenty. I'm heading over there. So I, mean, I don't think people, as much as we try and talk about it, Dan, understand how insidious this gets and how it works. I mean, uh, no, absolutely. And the labor charges also, which you know. When we talk about workers' wages going up, and, and then you know we, we were kind of joking about the numbers, you know where they get in some of the the national statistics because you go into your you know you go into your auto body shop, your mechanic, and and you're looking wait a minute those are almost double where they were two years ago. Yeah, oh yeah. So how do they miss out on those um, th- those rate hikes? So so yeah, I mean it it is insidious, and it and it and it keep it does keep going, and it does you know it does. Um, kind of spread across uh, a number of areas and it's you know I think again it's always the case that the managers who good, are good that hire the good people that have good work ethic that have good you know skills trade skills customer service skills whatever is required are the ones that are going to benefit and people are going to be able to distinguish now um, at some point um, but we're not there yet you're right where we are right now is is, is paying a fortune for um for materials, and that and that in itself is going to continue to impact the consumer in a negative way. Well, we're also, I think, I think, Dan, we're seeing somewhat of a of a of a pullback, pushback, shoveback, whatever you want, of the fact since, since two thousand, a lot of wages for people haven't gone up at all, or a, a little bit. So you're seeing people saying, "Hey, what the bleep?" I, I'm not, my speaking of jalopies, mine was in the shop a few weeks ago, so I, about the third time I took Uber, right. Guy's right there, terrific guy. I'm BSing with him all the way in. I said, well, you know, I said, you don't seem like a dude that uh, you know started out as an Uber driver. He's <laughs> like four right, ish, yeah. and uh, he goes, no, he goes, I'm a diesel mechanic. And I go, well, he's from he's from Europe, so he's a, he was trained over there. He goes, he goes, I don't I don't like it. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, I can make thirty five bucks an hour tomorrow, easy, rebuilding you know over the road big big diesels over the road tractors. And I go, okay, and he says. It's a dirty job. You're breathing this crap. You never get to talk to anybody. It takes you a week to do it. Because if I own my own place, because I, I this is what do you say? I get a uh, thousand bucks roughly for re- for rebuilding this thing, and the owner charges the guy like twelve. <laughs> he says, if I own the place, I'd be all over it. He goes, otherwise, he goes, I don't. What do I want to do that for? I, I, I can make almost as much money here, and I'm not breathing diesel fumes. I don't have to take a shower every half hour. He goes. It's a crap job, and if, and if, and if you're, you know, everybody's going to say, well, gee, you should do anything for 35 bucks an hour, because if I was getting the, the 200 hours an hour or, or 250 he's getting, or at least getting a better piece of it, I'd be there, but he goes, this is nuts, I mean, and we're starting to see some pushback there. That's why guys are going, hey, I need a mechanic. Well, you better give me more than 35 if you're getting 250 and people are saying okay, and the, and the, old, guy, the old guy's stunned, yeah. you know. Really, I, I think the old guy's stunned. What do you mean somebody's going to give you fifty? Well, you're charging two fifty, right? I mean, I, and we're we're starting to see some some shift there. I, I agree. You know, I absolutely agree, and that's an, I think that's a great story, a great a great example of of, of um, a story of where this some of this labor has shifted. The one other thing just, I'll just mention briefly, which which I I'm in agreement on, and and I think the I hear, you know, I did hear. I think it was Larry Fink who had mentioned this months ago, but I. You know, more and more, we see this locally here in Florida is um, what you call legal immigration, and we call you know um, people who are provided jobs that 
I don't know how they do it because they're out in the hot sun here, um, har- you know, like harvesting um, uh, crops and, and that sort of thing and working, like doing construction work and all that. But they're part of programs that provide them housing and, and, and other benefits. And God help them. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's great that, that, we, that there are people out there doing that because I don't know who else would be doing it. But I think if there was more emphasis in this country on on that, looking at legal immigration and trying to improve, you know, the legal uh, immigration, maybe some of those jobs would be filled, and then those people would also have eventually have the same opportunities to move up the ranks. But the people who work in those jobs would certainly have the the motivation and I would agree um, right. opportunities. So hopefully, you know, that's. If we, I hear talk about it. I'm not sure I see a lot of action. Well, no, nothing would p- send you to college quicker than being a roofer in like Scottsdale in the summertime. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Take care of yourself, but SP yeah, Futures down 250, Nancy Futures down 20. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading options ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Blown up back stocks and jacks. I'm Tamama Spread Weber on the board. SP futures down eight now. We're, we're leaking a little bit. And as futures down 47, we were uh, we were unchanged. We were actually up a little bit when we came in, then we were unchanged, and now we're leaking a tad. And uh sure we have a big reversal. Well not well, dollar's still strong, but it is a reverse some of the euros back to exactly one dollar, and it was like ninety-eight and a half yesterday's, which is maybe is the bottom, who knows? Well now futures are up up fifty-six. Individual stocks 
Uh, really nothing going anywhere. We've got Caterpillar up 60 cents, Boeing up 85 cents, so nothing uh, nothing of any real consequence. Um, Europe, we've got the DAX down 91.7%. That's more than it was earlier. Puts you down 7.1%. Kakaran down 10.2%. Over in Asia, kind of a mixed bag here. Nikkei up 634. It's 2.3%. So that's a big move. Uh, Shanghai down 10.3%. But here's the one that is befuddling. Uh, Hang Seng down 189, 1%, uh, 18,854. Maybe it has to be because all those Chinese internet stocks, the ones that were, they were always you know, shooting bullets at from this end, I'm not saying we shouldn't be, I think they're all listed on the Hang Seng, and maybe not on the mainland, because they're taking that hit. Uh, bonds down 3 basis points, 3.23. One down, up 3 basis points, 1.61. Uh, Japan uh, unchanged at 2.25. We got the UK 10-year at 303. Uh, they, um, we're still, I think we're still waiting for the, the European Central Bank to do theirs. Uh, oil uh, up 65 cents, 82.59. But Brent up 49 cents, 88.49. Natural gas unchanged, 7.85. Our Bob unchanged, 2.31. Gold, notice how Dan mentioned gold. First time in a long time, mate. It's actually up two days in a row. 17.30 up 3.10. Silver up 22 cents, 18.48. Copper up 6 cents, 3.49. First kind of moving those things in really been a while. Uh, crypto, a Bitcoin up 133 to 19,212. It was under 19,000 yesterday. Again, people get worried when it gets down there. Uh, and I, I just mentioned uh, the euro, the uh, euro dollar is back to exactly one with our dollar. Anyway, for us, traffic weather sports. 37 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. We have a couple of issues already this morning here on a Thursday. Jane Adams, I 90. Inbound side, just before Higgins Road, there is an accident that's on the left shoulder. It says a car is facing sideways on the left shoulder, so expect delays as uh, there's uh, stop-and-go traffic navigating around that issue. Is on sideways I-90. better than backwards? Um, I don't know. Maybe a little bit better. Uh, also, uh, south of there on the Tri-State, uh, we have a crash on the southbound side at Cermak Road, uh, Cermak 22nd Street. That has uh, the Tri-State backed up uh, to the Cermak Road Toll Plaza uh, due to that crash that's blocking the left lane on the southbound Tri-State I-294. So a couple of issues uh, to the west of us that are causing delays. We have our normal traffic volumes building up on the Edens and Kennedy. Same for the Eisenhower. That earlier car fire at US-20 is all clear. Stevenson 2, Southside Expressways are behaving themselves. Uh, Only other crash in the area is on I-80. Westbound side at Harlem, there's a crash on the right shoulder. Weather today, lots of sunshine, warm temperatures, a high of 80. Right now it's crystal clear and 68 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, overcast skies and a high of 102. Right now it's partly cloudy and 85. In sports, White Sox are hanging in there with three weeks to go in the season. They're just two games back of Cleveland, tied with Minnesota for second place in the AL Central after beating the Mariners last night 9-6 and taking two of three of that series in Seattle. So uh, go Sox. Cubs were blown out at home by the Reds last night 7-1. Diamondbacks lost to the Padres 6-3. And the NFL kicks off tonight, and it is on NBC, as I reported last hour. Uh, Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime starts next week. Ah, okay. And, and then uh, it'll be every Thursday for the next 10 years, it looks like, uh, beginning next week. But tonight, it's on NBC to kick off the NFL season. Super Bowl favorites, Buffalo Bills, are at the Super Bowl champion, L.A. Rams. 7.20 p.m. Chicago time kickoff. Chief. I think we have to watch that one, Matty. It's going to be a good one. Should be good. So I have a question for you, Mr. Flanagan. Yes, uh, good morning, Tom. We've somehow or another... 
my, my daffy mind has lobbed this one up there once in a while. Out of all the nasty dictators we've had in the world, who killed the most people? Um, I have a chart here, although this does not include uh, Genghis Khan, because I bet he would be maybe number one. But uh, who do you suppose is number one out of all the nasty dictators we've had in the last two or three centuries? Well, it would have to be Mao Zedong. By far. It's like 78 yeah. million people. Yeah, that's, like, yeah. that's like a, no, that's like a number. <laughs> well, St- Stalin's like uh, 23. Hitler's only 17. And who's this guy, Leopold of Belgium? I, I, I don't remember reading about oh, him. Oh, well, yeah, that. his atrocities in the Congo. And, uh, you know, the, the Belgians were probably the, the most cruel when it came to colonial rule. Uh, and it's, it was one time far-flung empire, and they did awful things to the natives. Look at Paul Potts, a piker. <laughs> it's only a few million people. I mean, you got to get higher than that, God's sake. I can't believe we're joking about this. <laughs> I know, I mean, but but Mao Zedong did it to his own people. These other people oh, did it to other people. I mean, but for the noblest goals too. Yeah, for the noblest goals. I mean, let's just wipe everybody out. <laughs> I they'll, got it. They'll understand. I really, I really did get a sinking feeling when you know Nixon and Kissinger, you know, did that dance with with Mao in seventy two. I thought this is this is a turning point. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I didn't think it boded well for. Know, it bode well for what was to come, and uh, I don't think it has. No, I uh, in in the book, uh, boy, whenever you read something, you get you get of that kind of historical significance. You just uh, I read this, well, I have it, uh, uh, George Marshall by George Marshall, essentially his autobiography, and absolutely fascinating life and work. I mean, Marshall was the the man who essentially choreographed how, how World War Two was fought. He was put in charge before the war. And kind of got the army and everybody ready, at least on uh, officer corps and stuff for the war. Got a lot of the logistics started. Anyway, without him, I think we'd have a much rougher time, shall we say, Jen? And uh, the uh, and of course he didn't get to lead the thing into Europe. Eisenhower did, so Eisenhower became president. That would have been Marshall probably, but he was a little older. Uh, right, and everybody knows about the Marshall Plan. But in the middle there, there was a weird story. He gets in his car. He finally gets out of his job in Washington. The war's over. Um, he gets in his car and drives back to, where the hell is he from? Virginia or someplace? He went to, um, where'd he go? Uh, VMI, right? I think. Uh, yeah, I, think I think he did, yeah. Uh, and so he gets home, walks in the house, the phone's ringing, it's Truman. Hey, <laughs> I need you to go to China. So they sent him and his wife over to China. I'm going to say, year, year and a half. Meanwhile, the Morgenthau plan is we're working in Europe and it's it's a total disaster, right? Whatever that plan was before him. He's in China, finally, after like a year or eight months or 12 months, 14, he's trying to, he's trying to negotiate between Chiang Kai-shek and Mao Zedong. And he, he finally, he just, I don't know if he called back, wrote back, he said, these guys are both morons. I mean, there's, there's, there's no way I could do any good over here. They're brutal, they don't care about how many people get killed, and they're never going to negotiate. What am I doing here? <laughs> that's what Truman said. All right, come on home. We'll, we'll, we'll put you in the Marshall Plan in Europe, and that's what—that's how the Marshall Plan was born. Him saying, "There's no way on earth I come to any kind of a decent conclusion with these two idiots." It's, yeah, it's unfortunate that you know Chiang Kai-shek was the the person that the West really backed because he clearly didn't deserve that kind of confidence in, in the way he behaved in the you know in the war leading up to the communist takeover, and even you know as a you know, governor in exile, uh, he was not the right person. I 
but he was somewhat in charge. And and as Truman once said, he may be a son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch, right? right. I mean, he was he was in charge, and we were looking for people in China to help fight against Japan. And he was the, I use the term titular head, right? Yeah, on paper. Yeah. Okay. But then as soon as did did Mao start to make his moves while the war was still on? Was it totally after? I, I don't remember. I wasn't alive, but he, he was you know a force certainly, but it hadn't really you know erupted into the. The long march is, is, I think, before the war, isn't it? I'm pretty sure. So. But he was, yeah, he was, but he was not enough of a, of a of a leader for us to think he controlled the army or anything like that. No, we, we, you know, it wasn't like with, with Castro. We thought yeah. we, we could deal with him initially. You know, when we re- realized that Jake was up with Batista and all these other crooks we had supported, we thought we could do business with Castro. If there was ever any illusion about that with Mao, I think it didn't go very far. Yeah, it was a... Uh, Anyway, the history, the history is, uh, you read all this stuff, you just you learn so much, it's scary, isn't it? I mean... Yeah, it makes, makes you tremble for the present. Yeah, yeah. Let alone our future. <laughs> I mean, you, you wonder how, in some of these places, how many, how we dodged these bullets. I mean, how, you know, you know how, how did we dodge the Cuban Missiles Crisis? I mean, it was, you know, I mean it, you, you kind of wonder. You just, how close we came to losing the Revolutionary War, how close the, the Civil War just kind of broke apart. I mean... They were they were not foregone conclusions until the end. Let's put it that way. No, so a lot of luck, really, a lot in a lot of the you know, the aftermath of these events too, where uh, things almost beyond our control t- turned in our favor. It wasn't our ability to strategize or to forecast very well. Um, we had some really really close calls. Well, if it wasn't for the Battle of Midway. There's a real strong chance we would have said to Japan, "You keep what you got. Just don't bother us. We won't bother you." I mean, even even though the Pearl Harbor, or if they would have declared war before Pearl Harbor, who knows what the difference in sentiment would have been? You know, I mean, if you, you look at this stuff and you say, "What if?" and it's ugh. speaking of what if, uh, you're our, our closest thing to uh, education in this area. What I don't know if you're listening. When Kevin and I were talking, we've been kind of talking about it all week, and I've been reading this. Thing about the Chicago public schools and how horrendous. Yeah, I was hoping you'd bring that up again. Yeah, I, I, I was glad you mentioned those statistics about capacities of these schools and their actual enrollment. I mean, my, my jaw was dropping. I, I'm not about. You can't really pin it. I mean, when, when you have, uh, and my mom, you know, when when she would tell me all about her schooling, of course, because she was big on schooling. Um, she said even in, in the 30s, though, or in the late 30s, said even though the city was unfortunately segregated. So the family structure, both in both black and white communities, was pretty solid. So the, the you know she says the the stupid part was, you walked out the front of the school and the black kids turned one way and the white kids turned another. She goes, I never had any problem with anybody, and everybody just had, uh, they had a family and I had a family and everybody did what they're supposed to do and, you know nobody, never any not any fights guns. I mean it was you know it was, pretty much normal normalcy as you could have it in the 30s I guess or early 40s. And uh, I don't know that you can uh, blame everything right now. There's this compilation of of stuff that's wrong. It's the schools, it's the families, it's the community, it's whatever it is. I don't know how you. I'm not sure what what the first first nail you put in there to try and fix it, John. I, but uh, but somehow the, the status quo is not acceptable. I mean, it's just not acceptable. It's not. We can't have people sleeping in the streets everywhere. We can't have people sleeping in the subway. We just got to find a way without, you know, uh, 
being abusive to anybody, which I would never do. We got to find a way to get some resources that just make some sort of progress, even if it's very small. So at least we know a certain program or, or, or types of programs or combination of programs will work. I don't even think we know what to do. No. In the past, you know, when, when those schools that you were listing yesterday, like Tilden and Hirsch, and, you know, these are you know, big buildings by any education oh, God, yeah. system standards, but um, the schools tended to follow the demographics, usually pretty close, but you know, the, these neighborhoods tended to be settled and, and were becoming economically viable and developing you know, patterns of, of building and everything else that the city recognized, well, we have to get a school in there, too, because you can't have these people traveling back, you know, to the nearest school, which is no longer very convenient. Um, and they could build these things fairly quickly, and the money was there, and the, they became anchors of a kind in these neighborhoods. Well, um, it's, when, when, the, when these neighborhoods are depopulated the way they are now, it isn't like you can support a local, uh, you know, the image of a local school system that is workable when you've got such a sparse population in some of these places that used to be teeming with people. And what happens is that, you know, they close the schools, and this is what Emmanuel took such heat for when he was mayor, and yet the economics don't really support having schools where there are no people. It's expensive to move people around, and, and the logistics of that have become a whole other issue for the Board of Education now. But we're, we're in this bind now where un, until you make the neighborhoods, you know, viable, then the schools follow them. So the only way they're ever going to reopen in some of these neighborhoods is if there are people living there clamoring for a school. You can't build a neighborhood by putting a school in the middle of nowhere and expecting people to have their kids risk their lives going in and out of the neighborhood just to satisfy some idea about where a school should be. And uh, there's no commitment that I can see to, to revitalize these neighborhoods in a meaningful way. The, the lack of policing alone makes any business owner extremely you know, hesitant to do any kind of expansion you know, in a neighborhood where there's no police protection nearby. And there's, there's good people in all of these neighborhoods, but there's also people who hate the good people and want the neighborhood for themselves. And unless the police have the upper hand, there's no way that neighborhood will grow or thrive. Well, Dan, I would... And I, you know, I'm one of these guys. I mean, uh, as my my brother says, and Dan's, you know, you know, a terrific guy, president of PTI Securities. And he says the difference between you and a lot of people is you're not afraid to make a trade. You look at it; it looks good. You make the trade, and you're confident in your ability that if it if it goes somewhat against you, you can fix it. So you you just do it. There's other people; they they will think about it for a month, you know, and. If, if it was me, Jan, I would pick one because my cousin went there. The name I'll pick off the top of my head. I would take Tilden Tech. It's at 34th and Princeton or something. It's serviced by all kinds of CTA lines. I would say come January, we're going to have these three or four uh, whatever, vocations as well as other classes and we're going to be ready to go with 600 kids and anybody wants to transfer here, you got to test in and you got to I'm going to make absolutely sure that your walk from the bus to the school, if I have to have a machine gun nest there, is going to be safe. And I think that you can actually rebuild the community around the school if you do that. And you know what, Jen? I could be wrong, but I don't care. I let it go for a year. At least it's an idea. It's a plan. And if it doesn't work, I'm more than happy to fix it to do something else. But 
we got to do something. You can't, you can't just sit around for five years saying everybody's idea is a bad one. Let's just do it. You get, you know, get Ivy Tech uh, or somebody here, the junior colleges, to, to plop some of the shops in there. So as a senior year, somebody can get credit for the stuff. And let's try and match up where a year and a half from now, some of these people can go get jobs in Chicago that are available in all these shops and places. But doing nothing is, is not an option here. I mean, I'm not saying my idea is the best, but it's an idea. <laughs> Let's do it. How much can it cost in the, in, the, in, the, in the major scheme of things of the money we're pissing away here? Well, I'd, I'd be all for trying almost anything at this point, including your suggestion, because there could be a spillover effect if you really had highly visible and effective law enforcement where the students were clearly the, the people who were the protected class and everybody should had to take note of that. That would make people feel more comfortable living you know, should be a short distance from such a place just because they would think they would be the benefit of that kind of police protection. I, I just don't see any movement in that direction, though, at all. Well, actually, fact, there is one. Really, you know, there, there is was one. another article I saw the other day in the local newspaper about how many precincts were lost in the redraw of the yeah. ward boundaries. And, of course, you know, I think my ward, the 39th, uh, lost 11 precincts. The 45th Ward, I think, lost 15 precincts, which means, I mean, the geographic boundaries did change. They're not exactly the same. But you need a reason ward. You need a reason to be there. I mean, you, you know, uh, Jean. Jean was on the show a couple times. Jean, uh, um, well, Jean Pearl, Jim Arbito. Uh, she was working with the people down in Limblom, which is in a horrible spot in Englewood. And the the guy who put that school, they gave him two years to read with the whole school, became Limblom's math and science academy. It's one of the top... 20 in the state, and you got to walk from 63rd to 61st. And she said the principal basically told the gangs around there, "Don't even try it, because I, I can bring down holy hell on you people if one of these kids ever gets ever gets messed with." And they never did. You know, I I, I think it's possible, John. I really do. I mean, it, if you don't try it, nothing works. Right. I'll tell you what. You know, the model that, that was tried and didn't work was what happened with Kennedy King College, you know, the, the Chicago City College. Um, that used to be at 68th and Wentworth. And I taught there as an adjunct in my years before my full-time job. And three-quarters of the building you could not enter because of structural problems. Really? There'd be buckets all over the place. The roof leaked. The, the, the building served about a quarter of the students that had been designed to, to accommodate. And the, the solution, well, apparently they realized there was no solution to this other than to knock the whole thing down, which they did. And build a you know brand new spanking you know version of this, the 63rd and Halston, which has now become you know a total food desert after yeah. the food's closed. <laughs> this is just it's it's a shell game that it gives the illusion that this neighborhood is being revitalized, and in the long run nobody feels one bit safer. My grandmother well, lived two blocks. Even though there. it's a brand new facility and it's got the, the earmarks of, of having been done to magnetize attention and get people to, to, get, to move there, it doesn't happen. It has, it has not happened. And that model, I think, is, has, has got to be put on the shelf and to try something else. Well, I'm saying well, well, let's try something. At the very least, we got kids coming out of here that can go, go get a job. But the 63rd and Halstead, for those who are, are, are uh, younger, uh, with the possible exception of the loop, 63rd and Halstead was the most vibrant corner in the city. In all during the 30s, 40s, 50s. Second biggest retail center. Yeah. Of and my grandmother lived a block and a half from there. So I spent my first 12 years before they moved out of there. Basically, there were five movie theaters within 500 yards of 63rd and Halston, Manny. It was, it was really something. And 
all kinds of anchor stores, Weebolts, um, Morrisby Sacks, Sears, are all right there. I mean, it was the L stop there. You pile off the L, dime stores, you name it, clothing stores, and uh, again, it was really a vibrant, vibrant area. Uh, by the way, are, are you? Uh, as we get older, we don't necessarily lob out our our birthdays and so forth. You see how sneaky Webby's been this morning? It's it's his birthday, and he's not letting us know. What is this like? Forty five, Matty? Or is this a key one or what? <laughs> not. <laughs> <laughs> Not a key one. 39. 39. 39. Oh, Wait man. a minute, is this the first time at 39, or is this going to be 39 you're stuck first on First time. <laughs> first time. God, how long have I known you? Uh, it's been a long time. We've been doing this version of the show since 2010, but we knew each other before that. A lot of good softball games, boy. A lot, happy, a lot of fun. Happy birthday, many happy returns. Thank you. Here, here's a guy, started out just like a regular old dude, you know, bumping along, doing shows, Going out and heading to bars, which is a good thing. Good softball player. He meets his terrific lady, and now they have a terrific kid. The dog that just watches them all in amazement. And Matty, you've done very well for yourself. And well, it's, so uh, far, so good. Yeah, it's uh, well, pick and Jill was the right thing. Yeah, that was always uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was the cornerstone. We should have like a, a, a class somewhere and like select selecting your mate because it's kind of key. It is. Yeah, <laughs> you, and you go on some trial runs. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> With some that you that you don't buy, I, I'm I'm happy you passed on a few of your older ones. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> well, I, I hit the big seven zero last week, Tom. So oh God, you know, that's a milestone for me too. I I can't say I feel bad. I don't know how great I feel about it, but you know I'm glad I made it this far anyway. <laughs> Mitty, who was the who was the wacky? Happy doctor? birthday to you too, John. Yeah, John. <laughs> Thank you, Mitty. Who was the wacky doctor that did make you the the super healthy lunch? And the first thing you did was threw it out when you got here. <laughs> That was a long time ago. That was a yeah. F- <laughs> you know, I don't know what she made me today. That would go on the track. <laughs> anyway, um, happy happy birthday, Wendy. One other thing I'd like to lob out though about schools and um, as part of changing the culture of them, I really think the idea of getting rid of the necessity of uh, certification, at least what certification has become for for you know somebody who wants to be a teacher. Hey, Jim, back up on this. Else would be a really good start because I, I fear the process, and I can vouch for this. It has driven people away from teaching who would otherwise have have a passion and a love for it, even if it didn't pay the most, and they could be happy maybe in another career, but they have an itch to teach. And the cert- certification process kind of makes it impossible for those kind of people. Jan, how did they? Put in the door. We only got thirty seconds. But somehow or another, they did that at Lindblom. Gene said they were able to hire. A few guys right out of industry that were retiring that were teeth in math, math and, uh, and chemistry and stuff that, that weren't teachers before. How did they manage to pull that off there? Do you have any idea? I think there have been exemptions, and they're doing it now for substitute teachers in the charter school system. At least one, one of the systems um, is, is and they're taking endless heat, of course, from the unions about this. But I, I can you know, certainly attest to the teachers I had in, in high school and in grade school. I don't think any of them were certified. By the state of Illinois, um, I was taught by an order of nuns from Monroe, Michigan. I don't think they went through the certification process. Oh God, no! I know Mount Carmel. The private schools didn't require it. Maybe there's some people who migrated from one system to the other, but I would bet that almost all of the teachers I had had not been certified. Now, that, that, unfortunately, this this is a, you know an ugly thing in, in some circles today because now you're talking about unqualified people. But I, I haven't gone through the process of trying to determine what it would take to be certified i've lost all respect for it yeah. and i would think anybody who goes down that road is not going to make a good teacher you're going to have any kind of 
you know, enthusiasm or creativity beaten out of you by becoming certified. The only guy I, th- I thought was a lousy teacher at Maris was a guy that had the unenviable job of trying to teach us Latin, and nobody wanted to learn it, so that was, that was bad. <laughs> he was probably the most passionate of all <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely it was horrible. SP Futures down 16, NASDAQ Futures down 77. Maddie, happy birthday again. Jan, you too. Back uh, Monday, Stocks and Jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. 